This morning, Scripture is in 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paper, a hardback Bible near you, under your seat. The words are also on the screen. It's 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Free City Church. And if you're with us for the first time, uh, we're really glad you're with us. And you hopped in uh, as we're working through uh, the letter of 1 John, um, which is called, a, it's called an epistle. Um, the Apostle John, he wrote the uh, Gospel of John, which is the account of Jesus' life. And he was the longest living apostle, uh, the last one to die. And his, his church uh, that's starting, probably several churches around the Ephesus area, were experiencing a difficult time. Uh, new information had kind of come into the church that was pulling people away from trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. And people were leaving. I mean, leaders were leaving. People were walking away from the faith, walking away from trusting in, a, in, a, in the historical Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. And you had a young church that was kind of looking around. I mean, what do I do? How do I hang on uh, to, to faith? What does it look like? And maybe even uh, the young church might have been secure in what they believe, but a fear of what if that happens to me next? And so people that maybe even brought them into the faith were now teaching something different. They were looking at the person of Jesus and saying, oh, you know, Jesus was never really a man. And it's ironic that we look at the person of Jesus, our culture, and it has the opposite problem. Sure, Jesus is great, but he's not really God. And yet the scriptures teach really clearly that Jesus was fully man, fully God. He claimed to be God. He died on a Roman cross. And something happened that he was raised again according to the scriptures. And over 500 people witnessed him alive again. And that's why we're still preaching the gospel today. But yet what was happening was People were stepping away from that and saying, well, I'll believe some of it. I don't want to believe all of it. That's really, like, that applies to us today. Like, most people don't necessarily have, like, a horrible view of Jesus. They don't, like, hate Jesus. Some people do. They just are, like, in between on Jesus. Like, well, I don't really believe what he says about this or that, but I like that he says we should be nice. And so we're in the same kind of division of fighting for what is truly from God. Like that's what this is about. All these messages out there and they all have spirits behind them. And what is truly from God and what I want you to see this morning, everything preaches. Like I, I know you like, well, of course you would say that you're a preacher. No, no, everything is preaching something. Everything is preaching something. You know, when you watch a movie, it's preaching something. And I'm not advocating for like some hardline stance that we're against everything. I'm advocating that you start to think about the values and the message that things are preaching so that one day when you have kids, if you have kids, you can teach them to be like, 
to look at things and see what's behind them and to be discerning. Everything preaches. I am, for the majority of my adult life, adultish life, uh, I did student ministry. And so I worked with teenagers, and we started two college ministries. And, uh, I mean, even thinking about that, it might give you uh, more grace for me that for 11 years of my life, uh, I was working with teenagers. I uh, graduated uh, from the University of Oklahoma, and I instantly started in seminary a 96-hour graduate program uh, for seminary. And I started, I was like the youngest guy in the classroom. I was 22 and single, like people thought I was like 12, and so I'm like, no, man, I'm a student pastor, I'm working with them, and then they kind of looked at me even more sideways. I finished seminary with a wife and three kids. I mean, like, it was like a decade of my life, and all along the decade of my life, I hung out with teenagers the whole time. I hung out with teenagers. Like, I planned and worked lock-ins and weekend retreats, all of those with no sleep. I took buses of kids to fast food restaurants on the way to camp and mission trips, but never a ski trip because that is ridiculous. That is dangerous. I mean, I, 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 experienced, um, I experienced being the coolest guy in the lunchroom because I'd go visit kids always at middle school, and I experienced being the lamest guy in the lunchroom, always at high school lunch. I mean, I experienced and endured those things. Like, out of love, I was toilet papered, forked, my truck was shoe polished. Once a car was driven through the front windows of the youth building, not out of love, out of Grand Theft Auto and drunkenness. I mean, and so, I mean, all these experiences mounting. I made videos and videos and videos. Videos of kids running around, and I put it in fast motion, slow motion, forward motion, back motion, all to hype music, over and over and over. Once I videoed a guy getting his chest waxed almost successfully, I videoed a bunch of boys because they thought they could drink a gallon of milk in under an hour, and they could not. And it was the greatest video I ever made, all to hype music. You throw up if you drink a lot of milk. Okay. Um, Over and over. And why why did I do that? I mean, was it because I didn't have, like, marketable skills for the workforce? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Why why, why did I do that? Why did I dress up for skits? Why, Why did we do ridiculous things? We did it because we were seeking opportunities to preach this message with clarity for moments that it would be louder than everything else that is preached at them. And I'm still doing the same thing today. It's just I don't do it with hype music to the videos. That there would be a moment of clarity that we would preach what true Christianity is because everything in this world is preaching something. Yeah, that, that's actually what John is talking about here. I mean, not hype videos, but that's what he's talking about. Like, like look at this. He is telling us there is a spiritual battle. L- look at this. So we see the word spirit. Look down the text. We see the word spirit used eight times, and it's designated to two different sources. And so eight times in six verses, designated to two different sources, either from God or from the spirit of the Antichrist. I mean, it even goes a a little bit more, like we see that. We also see the word from God. Like that's the next phrase used the most. We see that six times in six verses. It is in every single verse, but verse five and twice in verse six. And so if we put this together, the concern is that we would know that there is a spiritual battle of origins all around us. And it uses words and ideas to captivate the hearts of people and everything hangs in the balance. And it is either from God or it is against God. Like, I know, like, like, wow, we're getting a little kooky here. We are not. What if it's real? What if there are messages that are vying for the allegiance of mankind and everything hangs in the balance? Like, look back at the text, just overview. Both of these systems have prophets. I mean, you see the term false teacher, false prophet. 
Both of these systems have messages. They're vaying for like, like the, for humanity's like submission to these messages. Both of them are going out. They both have spiritual origins. And John wants to help us distinguish between a saving message that is from God and a damning message that has demonic origins. Like John's message here is that God has given us his spirit. Look back, chapter 3, verse 24. Right before we start, he's given us his spirit. But he says there are other spirits at work in this world. God's spirit and these other spirits are behind thoughts and ideas and they're competing for the world and they're competing in the church. And so the question is, how do we know which one is right? Which one is from God? And he wants to tell us. And he cuts right through so much of the other stuff. He cuts right through so much of the fringe stuff and he gets right to the person of Jesus and he says all of these battle lines fall on the identity and person of Jesus Christ. He gets real specific. And so this is how we're going to walk through this passage. Um, like the, the message of the passage is not really, really difficult. It's saying there's a spiritual battle that you can't see and it's happening in words and ideas for the allegiance of people. And it's all about the person of Jesus. And so we have to look at how people preach Jesus to determine if it's from God or, or not. And so like that's the summary statement But like I feel in our age, I've got to convince you that there's actually first, this is the first point we're going to work with, there's actually a spiritual battle. Like what do we see in the world? We see a spiritual battle and it is religious in nature. And then we're going to look at what is the Christian message? And it is this, Jesus Christ, incarnate God, who came to defeat sin according to the scriptures. And so let me pray for us and we'll get started. Uh, Father, Lord, I pray that as we look at this, um, Lord, you would open our hearts. Lord, that we would see something, that information is spiritual. And Lord, that you wouldn't allow us to be against everything. Certainly we should be against some things. But Lord, you would grow on us a, a proclamation of the truth. And the proclamation of the truth is, Jesus, you have come to say flesh. And I read Revelation preparing for this. You have come to establish a new heaven and new earth. That means this world matters. Like it is rebirth. And I think everyone actually has a handle, is hanging on to something about the coming kingdom of God that is beautiful, that they want. And we need to show it that they have just a part. And yet as sons and daughters, they can have it all. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us proclaim the gospel clearly, that we would be known as a gospel people, a people who care about the fame of Jesus, a people that don't divide over small fringe things, but can align under the gospel message, which is the saving of humanity. And Lord, it would move us to so many beautiful endeavors It would move us to policy changes and it would move us to care for the poor and the marginalized. It would move us to bring families together. It would move us to impact communities. But all of those things in the movement to spread light in a dark place and the light is the light of men. It is Jesus Christ and the darkness has not understood it. Lord, help us be that kind of people. Jesus, we need help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so two points. First, what do we see in the world? And it's going to say a spiritual battle, and that spiritual battle has ideas and words. And so if I would have just said to you, like, there's a battle of ideas in the world, you, would have, you wouldn't even bat an eye. You're like, yeah. I mean, look at the news. Like, I mean, depending on what news source I'm looking at depends on the angle that I see it. Like you would say, there is definitely a battle of idea. And then you would start to make claims against other people. Like, oh man, they're, they're listening to fake news. Because that's a thing now, fake news. Um, and then you'd be like, no, 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 it's real news. And I mean, I, I don't even know. Like you need to be super discerning. If I said there's a battle of ideas, you would have said, yeah, obviously. 
But this doesn't just say there's a battle of ideas. This says there's a spiritual battle behind ideas. And I mean, I think we feel fringes of it. I mean, if we were just talking about the battle of ideas, like you would say, yeah, no, no kidding. Like bring up any social topic and we can start a fight in here. I mean, we could bring up a social topic like, like are there different ideas about poverty and ha- how to handle it? Yes. Are, are there different ideas of drugs and how to handle them? Yes. Are there different ideas about electoral college or health care? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we have different ideas and those ideas battle. You know, I mean, even thinking about like health care, I mean, I was just so encouraged. I, re- I reread Revelation because John wrote Revelation. I mean, the order that we have is he wrote his gospel. And then he was, many, many years later, he was sent to the island of Patmos in exile, a prison island. And he wrote Revelation. And then he comes back and the church is kind of all me- mixed up and messed up. And so he writes first, second, um, and third John. And there is a theme that you see in all of this. Like you see that he loves to use the term spirit. He loves to talk about the dividing forces of spirit. And so when we talk about ideas that divide and we might have different ideas, like I was just encouraged that there's not going like the healthcare system in heaven is going to work great. It's going to work great. I read, I mean, Romans 21 Jesus wipes all the tears away. There's no more pain. There's no more mourning. There's no more death. And that means there are no more co-pays. There's no more call waiting while you're trying to understand something. There's no more deductibles. There are no pre-existing conditions. It is great. But until we get there, we have to have some sort of system. And we disagree on how that system works. Like if I said there's a battle of ideas, you would say, no kidding. Everybody would agree. This says that when it comes to the message of the gospel, when it comes to how we think we're really going to fix the the problems of humanity, it says there is a battle on the spiritual level behind ideas. Like, hear me on this. There are bad laws and bad policies. There are serious fallacies in thoughts and systems. But hear me on this. There is not a political party that represents the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. There is not a political party that engages the whole of the coming kingdom. Both political parties and then the fringe parties that kind of find themselves somewhere else. Both political parties are running after a part of the kingdom without the king. And you can never get the kingdom of God without the king. And both political parties have pimped the church with ideological bait. And so, like, I'm just saying this, like, when you look at this world, and you say, man, I want to, I want to help this world. If there's a political party that you think, man, I think it's going to make it help, that's fine. Get it. Do not sell your soul to it. Do not let it take religious conviction in your life. You need to be true to Jesus Christ. And so we would say there is definitely a battle of ideas. But John says, There's more. John says there is a battle beneath the battle of ideas, and it is a spiritual battle. And so look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says, there is a spiritual battle that uses thoughts and ideas. It says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And so that's 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 our title, test the spirits. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Like, notice what it doesn't say first. It doesn't say, test the message. It doesn't say, test the teacher. Now, those are biblical ideas. Jesus said that we should do that in Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16. He warned us that there would be false teachers, and we could look at the fruit of their life to help determine that. And so those are biblical ideas. But John, he says this first. He says, test the spirits. In verse 6, if you jump down, it says that there's either the spirit of truth or or the spirit of error within thoughts and ideas. And John is first concerned with the origin of the message. And he sees it as a battle for the allegiance of people. And he says, test 
the spirits. He says it is a spiritual battle. He is saying something that makes us uncomfortable. He's saying information is spiritual in origin, and you need to be discerning. You know, it it goes on. It says there is a spiritual battle, uh, and it uses thoughts and ideas. It says there's a spiritual battle competing for converts. Look at verse 1 and how it continues. It says, for many false prophets, and so the Bible, it uses false prophets, false teachers, and wolves. It uses those language, and we need to be careful with that language. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But it uses that language. It says, for many false prophets have gone into the world. Like, this is describing, like, some sort of, like, Great commission from hell almost. Like in the same way, Matthew 28, you have a great commission. Go into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, you have, a, you have this thing that is sending us with information to a world that needs it. This is saying there's false prophets who have gone out into the world also with information. And so, so before we go any further, like we need to establish what is and what is not a false prophet? I mean, I mean, some people are, are, are so scared to ever say, man, that is a false teacher or that is a wolf. They never categorize anything as wrong. Some people will call anyone a false prophet, false teacher, or a wolf if they get the most like smallest thing disagrees with them. And so we want to kind of figure out how do we do this. So number one, a false prophet is not someone who has said something wrong sometime in their lifetime. Everyone has said something wrong sometime in their lifetime, me included. And I will say wrong things still. I will get things wrong. Like A false prophet is not someone who just gets something wrong. A false prophet is not someone you disagree with on open-handed issues. One way that we describe things is closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. And so you can't just like, anytime someone disagrees with you, you do not need to throw out the false prophet card. And so people, like, what, what are closed-handed issues? And they are things like God's word is authoritative and all true. Jesus is the second person of the Trinitarian God from eternity past who came to earth and lived a sinless life and died in our place and rose again, ascended to heaven, and will come back once again. And, like, if you trust and treasure Jesus, if you make him Lord of your life, you become an adopted son and daughter of God Almighty, and you get into the kingdom. Like, those are closed-handed things. There are lots of open-handed things that we can disagree on and we can have strong opinions on, but they're not false prophets. Like, it's not just anyone you disagree with. A false prophet is not someone who is in the process of learning Christianity. Listen, when you get saved, if you get saved when you're an adult, you already have some ideas about a lot of things. You actually probably have a lot of ideas about Christianity, of what you think it believes. And like, as you learn the scriptures and doctrine and good theology, like those things will start to roll off and start to change if those are presented to you rightly. But you will probably speak sometime in between that. And you will probably be wrong. Those are not false prophets like what is a false prophet this text is going to tell us that a false prophet prophet is someone who makes jesus less or optional in salvation is someone who says well you don't really need jesus or you don't really need to believe this about jesus the bible is going to take a really strong line on that And so this is, he describes it as a spiritual battle. He describes it as a spiritual battle using thoughts and ideas. He describes it as a spiritual battle competing for converts. He describes it as a spiritual battle that is religious in nature. And so I I want you to bear with me on this just a little bit. Jump down to verse 5. Listen to what it says. It says, they are from the world... Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Like, do you see the two messages? 
Do you see the, the two different congregations? Do you see the two originating like spirits of what they come out of? Like there is a message that is from God and a people of God who listens to it and it is the spirit of truth. And there is a message that is from the world and the people of the world listen to it and it is the spirit of error. Like it's talking about two different systems and it's not talking in terms of like a religious system and, and a secular system. It's talking about a system that has ideology that runs deep that demands allegiance to it, that guides everything else that we listen to. Now listen, you, you, we're not apostles, so we don't get a claim, well, hey, if you don't listen to me, you must not be from God. We get a claim, gosh, if you disagree with this, I don't know what you're going by, but it must not be from God. And so John can claim something a little bit more than what we can claim. But this is, this is what I mean by two religious systems. Ultimately, what is religion? Ultimately, religion is a set of beliefs that answer big questions. Questions like, why are we here? Questions like, what is right and wrong? Questions like, what are the really important things I should be doing while I'm here? And then those things guide everything else. Ultimately, religious things are things that say, hey, this is the problem with humanity, and this is how we fix it. This is what we should be doing. And so when it, when it comes to this, like a lot of times we think about a secularism, and it just is like, no, let's just stop religion. And that, 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 that's a very true thing. But I told you I reread Revelation. And so, I mean, it's been a little crazy for me because we've been in the Bible reading plan. If you're in that, we've been reading in Ezekiel. And then I was like, man, I need to reread Revelation. And so, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, wow. It's been going on. But man, something caught me when, when I was rereading Revelation. It's not talking about the opposition of Jesus as someone who's just saying, ah, Jesus doesn't matter. It's talking about the opposition of Jesus as worshiping something else. Like this, the word worship is applied in two areas. Either you're worshiping the Lamb of God or you're worshiping the beast as it talks about in Revelation or the worldly system as it talks about in Revelation or the whore of Babylon, watch out for that girl as you talk about in Revelation. Like you're worshiping something contrary to Jesus. is not just a disregard. Like that's archaic and that's old. It's an active religious worshiping. And so typically secularism, how it speaks toward religion is it says, hey, I mean, religion's bad. It's talking about a whole, sometimes it thinks especially Christianity is bad, but religion is bad. And they believe this, like they want to say, they advocate for the abolishment of all religion. Like they're like, hey, the world would be a better place because religion divides, and we actually need to own that. Religion does divide because it says there's a set of beliefs, there's a way that we should live, and it's given to us by God, and that's what we need to know. And so we advocate for those things. And so there is a division there. They're right on that. But they, they say this, like, religion is bad, so we need to get rid of it. And I'm just proponing, I'm proponing, that's not a word. Is it a word? No. I'm just telling you that I think that is a religious idea. Like, I think to say this world would be a better place if we got rid of religion is actually a religious idea. Like, they see a problem in humanity, as they call it, and then they're conveying a religious idea about it. <coughs> and that idea is popular, but it's not nearly as popular as this other idea. You know, more popular than that, secularism will say that pri like religion should be private and private only. It's demanding that religion and religious ideas cannot be involved in public discourse, in shaping how we think, or shaping how we think we should live. That has to be leaved out. Like, it's saying there's no reason to ever, like, proselyte, to, to try to convert others. And typically, the argument for that kind of comes around, um, you know, a book that was written by Andreas Shaw. I mean, this was back, like, in the, in the maybe 60s. And so the book, it's called The Elephant in the Dark. And so it, it's a story of a bunch of blind men. They stumble upon an elephant, which would be terrifying. And so you stumble upon an elephant, and they all start to touch the elephant. So it's like a nice elephant. It's Dumbo. You know, they all start to touch the elephant. And one guy grabs the trunk, and he says, man, elephants, they must be, like, long and flexible. 
And then another guy said, man, you're crazy. And he's like hanging onto the leg. He's like, elephants are short and sturdy and strong. And then the other guy is leaning up against the side of the elephant. And he's like, no, no, no. Elephants are big and massive and flat. And so the whole idea is it's conveying this idea of all religions are on the same road, different roads to the same God. And by our biases, we're just hanging on to one thing and we don't see the whole picture. And so they say, if that's true, then why should we try to proselyte anyone? Just whatever the image of God that you have or that you're hanging on to, it's all getting to the same place. Like this, like we don't, people don't say that story a lot anymore, but that is a very popular idea. And it seems at first enlightened and it seems super inclusive, but I'm saying it is a dogmatic assertion that is religious in nature. Like the whole point of the parable is that no one can see the whole picture, so we should get along. But to make that assertion, you're claiming that you see the whole picture. Trying to say that no one has superior take on spirituality is taking a superior stance on spirituality. Trying to make an argument that no one should be proselyting for others because they're all you know, somewhere on a different road getting to the same place. You are proselyting that people would believe and take your stance. Like It's very religious in nature. You're saying the world would be better if you were just like me. And so if, if you're here and you're a skeptic, man, I'm glad you're here. Like, I really, I'm really glad you're here. But I just challenge, challenge, like, are your beliefs grounded in something else? Can you admit that your beliefs about what would make this world better is pretty dogmatic and assertive? That it might even be religious in nature. You know, the first part, he goes and we see spirit, 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 test the spirit, test the spirit. He's going into deep, deep description, trying to describe a spiritual battle that's beneath everything else. Which brings us next question, how can I know if what I believe is from God? And so this actually steps into like the church. Like there's a lot of different teachings in, in the church. And so you can say, how can I know that what this is being preached is from God? How can I know that I am in orthodox Christianity that has been the same since the beginning that was disruptive in the nature of the fabric of time because the person of Jesus that everyone has an opinion on now? How can I know what the Christian message is? And it answers in verses 2 through 6. It says, Jesus Christ, incarnate God, who came to defeat sin according to the scriptures. Now, I want to take these in reverse order. And so the first one is Jesus according to the scriptures. Look at verse 6 again. It says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Like this is a debate. Like there's a debate about who is the us. And I actually think when he's talking about that, he's talking about the church as a whole. And so he says, this is the message from us. This is the message we've always believed. This is the message. But he's also talking inclusively about himself. This is the message that I got from Jesus. And we wrote it down in the New Testament so people would know what Jesus did in his life, what he taught in his life, what happened leading up to his death, why they killed him, and what happened after his death. And then the, 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 the gospel writers wrote that down, and then the apostles took, because of salvation, because of the gospel, this is now how we should live. And that's what we see in the epistles. And so in a way he's saying, you want to know which Jesus? Look to the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. Is that the Jesus you're talking about. Like, you've got to be careful. I mean, you've got to be careful. Like, I mean, there are, like, people, you've got to understand what people are saying beneath that. Like, it's really common now. Like, we would say, we are all about the gospel. Like, we would say, we are all about Jesus. There are churches out there that are going to say the same thing that are very different from us. Like, there are people who are going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to look to the scriptures but then they talk you out of everything the scriptures say. 
And so when we talk about Jesus, you have to say, which Jesus? Like, there are so many different ideas about Jesus out there. Like, look, just look to media. Like, when you think about which Jesus, you would have to say, is this the South Park Jesus, the one who's always fighting Santa Claus for Christmas? Or is this the Talladega Night Jesus, you know, eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus? Or is it the Jesus who wears the tuxedo shirt? Because he's here, he's casual, but he likes to party. I mean, which Jesus is it? Or look to religion. Listen to all these stances. Buddhism says Jesus was an enlightened man like Buddha. Baha'i says Jesus was a manifestation of God, a prophet like Muhammad and Baha'i. Mormonism says Jesus was Satan's half-brother who was just a man, but he lived so morally that he became God. Islam says that Jesus was a mere prophet, inferior to Muhammad, but like Muhammad, who taught us about God. Hinduism says that Jesus is just another of the thousands of God um, or a prophet like Krishna. Christian scientists says that Jesus, I have to, is an implant forced upon a thetan, a person's spirit, about a million years ago. I just cut and paste that. I don't even know what that means. Like, listen, if a religion puts up their Billy Graham and it is Tom Cruise, you just need to be, yeah, I mean, you need to be, wow, okay? Human secularism, it says that Jesus was a good moral teacher that taught us to be nice. The most important question you can ask and answer is who is Jesus? You know, John really wants you to ask that question. In fact, in his gospel, John 20, verse 31, it says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Or we'll get here in a couple of weeks, 1 John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John is very Specific, He is very concerned that you would know which Jesus, and he's saying it is the Jesus of the Bible. Do you know that Jesus? When you come across things in the Bible that don't match up with your picture of Jesus, but it's in the Bible, do you ignore that, or do you let it shape your view about what Jesus we're talking about? The first thing in reverse order It says, the Jesus according to Scripture. The Jesus in the Bible. The second thing that we see is the Jesus who came to defeat sin. Look at verse 4. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You know, usually when John talks about the world, he's talking about systems that are, that are against Jesus. It's desires and passions, hopes, beliefs, morales. And so when it's saying you have overcome the world, like it's saying this, it's saying Jesus has come to defeat things that are not of him. Like there's a morality that Jesus holds on to. There are beliefs that Jesus holds on to. There are ways of doing life that Jesus promotes and holds on to. Jesus came to defeat sin. Jesus came to defeat sin. He says, you, you know, at one point with the disciples, up in the discourse before he died, he said, you think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring war. Brother be against brother, father against son, mother against daughter. He says, the message that I bring will be divisive because it's against the passions and pleasures of this world. He came to confront the problem of sin. And then finally, see, Jesus came, and we need to look at the Jesus according to the scriptures. Jesus came to defeat sin, but Jesus came as Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Like the bottom, the battle lines are drawn around the person of Jesus. John's battle lines in his day were defending the humanity of Jesus because the Gnostics, they were like, yeah, 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 Jesus was certainly spiritual, but he wasn't really man. He's like, no, 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 I lived with him. He was man. 
I saw him resurrected. He was still man, like better, cooler man, but he still had scars. He still had flesh. He was man. And so his lines were there. Our battle lines are opposite. We have to fight for the divinity of Jesus. Jesus was more than a man. Like both errors miss Jesus. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. The word uh, translated, when it says, like the literal translation for Jesus Christ having come in the flesh out of God, like it, it's much more simple. Is it Jesus Christ? having come in flesh, out of God. Like Jesus is the second person of the eternal triune God. He limited himself and entered humanity according to this verb tense, having limited, having come. That means there's a permanent limitation. I don't know how this works out. I just, I told you I reread Revelation, but in the gospels you see Jesus, like he dies, he rises again, and like the people can touch him. He still has scars of his death. And then you jump ahead, and in Revelation, he comes back on this white horse, and he still has a body, and he still looks in the person of man. Like there was some sort of incredible limitation because sin was dark and costly and deep, and I don't know how that works. But it says, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. The price of your sin was immense, and he still spares the scars to prove it. All battle lines fall upon the person of Jesus. When um, I became a Christian earlier, but my life really changed. Um, it was the summer after my senior year. And so I got to go to college and start new. And it wasn't, it wasn't real easy. It wasn't real easy. Um, but I got to go to college and start new, and I did something radical. I, I made a decision. I don't want my parents' faith. I want to know what I believe. And so I started reading the Bible. I mean, it's crazy. I was a horrible Protestant before. It was crazy. I started to read the Bible. With that, um, a, a campus organization, they gave me a book, left it by my door, uh, called More Than a Carpenter. And so Josh McDowell, he, he wrote this book, More Than a Carpenter, based off what C.S. Lewis says. Like one quote that he says in Mere Christianity, where he says, I mean, basically he says, listen, you can't just call Jesus a good dude. You can't say that he was a prophet who taught us good things because he claimed to be God and he was killed because he claimed to be God. Everyone in his day thought, man, that is crazy. He is claiming to be God. So he says, you can either say he's a liar, or you can say he's a lunatic and he's crazy, or you can say he's Lord. You can't say anything in between. And so this is the quote. It says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so uh, more than a carpenter kind of unpacks that all the places where Jesus claimed to have like God-like power or influence or God-like authority or literally just said, yeah, I'm God. God and I are one. And then the reason why the Jews killed him was because, hey, you're saying you're God. Like you can't do that. And so it goes through all of those arguments. And so I was in public speaking and we had given an informative speech and now we had to give persuasive speech. And I was like, I'm going to give persuasive speech on this. Like, it's going to be incredible. Like, we'll probably get done, and we'll probably have to, like, sing some songs. I can't do it, so someone will have to come along, and, like, people probably get saved in the aisle or something. And so I was like, man, I'm going to do this. And so I wrote this out, you know, you know, Jesus, he could be, either be a liar, or he could be a lunatic, or he could be Lord. And I had to, my statement ready. Like, the purpose of my speech is to clearly show that the identity of Jesus Christ, as he said, was that he was the God-man. And so, man, I was pumped. Like, I was excited. I had my notes. I had one note card. That's all they gave me. And I remember being in class. And these were, the, these were the persuasive speeches I followed. First was abolishing the drinking age altogether. And then legalizing marijuana. I mean, a lot of cataracts. I mean, and so legalizing marijuana. Glaucoma. Glaucoma. And then I was so thankful for this one. The danger of killer bees. 
which I, I actually don't think that guy did very well, is more informative than persuasive. Like, I don't know if there's a lot of people out there like, no, 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 I'm for the killer bees. Persuade me against that. They just need a hug. Like, hug them. You know, I, I don't know. But I was like, I can get behind that, man. Yeah, he was talking like, there's been, they've been found in South America. They're moving north. I mean, I was alerted to this. And so then I remember getting up. I mean, I was nervous, and I was sweating, and I was so scared. And I had this intro, and it was, it was funny. And so I had this intro, and then came to the thesis statement. The purpose of my speech today is to inform you on the true identity of who Jesus Christ is. And I remember when I said Jesus Christ, like, the room went dead silence. Silence. It shocked me. Like, I, I stuttered. Like, it shocked me. I, I stuttered. I had to watch the video of my speech. That is painful. I had to watch the video. And in the video, it was pronounced. Like, you hear just kind of rustling, you know. And like here, you're going to hear, you know, the, someone's water bottle fall and then roll all the way down. You know, you hear noises like that. And then when I say Jesus Christ, it goes dead Do you see what John is saying? When he says, do you want to know what's from God? He says, all battle lines draw on the person of Jesus. I actually believe this. I believe that, I mean, you're going to offend people, but you, you could talk about Allah and people might be offended, but it's not like, it doesn't make them mad. You, you could talk about Muhammad. You could talk about all these other figures, and it might be like an irritant, but it doesn't make them mad. But as soon as you talked about authoritative Jesus Christ, it's like everything turns. I mean, we can't even talk about time in B.C. and A.D. anymore. We have to go B.C.E., which we know what you mean. I mean, we have to change it. Like, it's offensive. And John would say it's offensive because there's a spiritual war behind these thoughts and ideas, and it all lines up on who the person of Jesus Christ. So the question is, who is Jesus? It's the most important question you'll ever ask yourself, the most important question you'll ever investigate. Like, do you have an answer? And this is for the Christian too, like, to constantly drill into our heart who do the scriptures say jesus is what was he like how did he embrace a lost world you know i mean i talked about like these different jesus's but like what i saw in jesus when i read the bible is he actually really embraced a lost world like he went and ate with with uh with zacchaeus and no one liked zacchaeus he met with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was kind of playing for the other team. He met with like women who were caught in adultery and hurt, like were outcasts. He sat with them. He shared the gospel with them. He hung out with people who were demonic. Like, you know, he cast the demons out. I mean, that's a bonus. But he hung out with them. Like, he wasn't offended in the same way that sometimes we're offended. Like, he didn't take it out on the Starbucks barista because they changed their cups for Christmas. I mean, I think he might have actually just sat down and had a cup of coffee with them. Like, what was Jesus like? We need to inform ourselves. But when we look at what this is, like, do you have an answer for who is Jesus? I mean, something happened. There's no neutral position. John says, test the spirit. In studying, I came across this quote, and it said this. It says, the cross of Jesus displays the most awesome exhibition of God's hatred of sin. See, sometimes we have to stop because when we talk about test the spirit, what happens is we grow, and we need to grow in a hatred of sin, but we grow in a hatred of sinners. But at the cross we see the most awesome exhibit of God's hatred of sin and at the same time, the most imposing manifestation of his readiness to pardon sin. Pardon, full and free, is written out in every drop of blood that is seen. It is proclaimed in every groan that was heard. 
when John looked at a church that was confused and wondering which way it was forward, he went straight to the heart. He said, there's a spiritual war out there, but it's all aligned. Who is Jesus? So look to who is Jesus. Let's pray. God, Lord, I pray that you would make us um, really discerning. That we would look to the cross to see how we should think about sin and salvation and Jesus. And it should lead us in life. That sin is serious. That it is dark. That it needs to be dealt with. It's not something that we could just give some ideas and policies to improve it. It was deeper. The cross shows us that sin is so horrible, the only thing that could fix it or undo it was the death of God. But the cross also shows us that Jesus came and he was glad to come and he was glad to deal with it because he wanted to usher us into the kingdom of God. I don't know of another message like that. I don't know of another message that is humbling to me in a way that says, man, I can't fix it myself, but that is emboldening to me that I can feel like God is for me. Lord, it's good news that needs to be shared because information is spiritual in nature. And so, Lord, help us communicate words that draw people to Jesus. If you know this Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, and you trust in this Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, we invite you to take communion with us. The way we take communion is we come down the two center aisles, and we start on the bread side, and we tear a piece of bread off to remember the cross, remember that his body was broken for us, a real body. And we dip it into the wine or the grape juice. The wine is in the stoneware, the grape juice is in the glassware, and remember that real blood was shed. And it's a picture, a regular reminder, a physical reminder that we remind ourselves of every week. And it tells us that sin is serious, but God was serious. And God loves us. And God has made a way. And God has made ways for others if they come to know this Jesus. If you're a Christian, we invite you to come when you're ready. If you're not a Christian and you're just kind of trying to figure this thing out, we invite you to look at the screen, and we have some information and some prayers up there. We're not trying to trick you. We just want to help lead you with information. We also, if if you're a Christian, and man, you have some prayer needs, because maybe you're saying, man, some thoughts and some ideas have really embedded themselves in my life, and I need help. Like, it's deeper than my consciousness. It seems to be in my unconsciousness. And we have some people who will be back behind the screens and they're here to pray for you. You can tell them as much or as little as you want and they're going to pray like the text tells us to pray in other places. They're going to pray boldly that because of what Jesus has done, because we have the good affections of God, because we stand in the purity of Jesus, in the righteousness of Jesus, that God is glad to answer our prayers. They're going to pray boldly. Father, I pray that you would help us in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.